Today's MTR Network offering is brought to you by Daniel Palmer on Q.com. Are you still renting? What are you waiting for? OnCue Financial can make it faster and easier to get you out of that apartment and into a new house. Best of all, you may not need perfect credit or much money out of your pocket. That's right, you can get into a new house for low money down. You couldn't move into an apartment that cheap. You would need first month's rent, last month's rent, and a security deposit just to have the chance to make your landlord rich. Wouldn't you rather invest in yourself and your future? At OnCue Financial, our goal is to go above and beyond to assist in structuring a loan program at a competitive rate with a smooth and seamless experience to help you reach your dream of homeownership. Visit DanielPalmerOnQ.com and find out how to get on the right track to get out of that apartment and into the home your family deserves. Find out how easy it can be by going to the website, filling out a few short forms, and telling us exactly what you want that new house payment to be, and we'll do everything we can to make the dream of homeownership a reality. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So find out how to get to yes at DanielPalmerOnQ.com. This is not an offer for extension of credit or commitment to lend. Some restrictions may apply. OnQ Financial Inc. is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 5645. License GA22050. Welcome back to the Character Corner Podcast with your host Chris and Deep. I'm here. We are back in 2019. Oh man, it's um, we got a we got a good year this year for uh, Character Corner, man. I, I know we're we're about to start part one of our two parter on uh, the comic book errors. Then we go into Captain Marvel. Then we go to Shazam. Then we go into Iron Man. And I know we got thoughts and, and ideas on other Character Corners we're going to do after this, but um. Another year, man. I think we started this. We I think this is episode like sixty nine or six sixty eight, sixty nine. We're doing a lot of these, man. We've done a lot of these, and they're a lot of fun though. So it gives us an excuse to read comic books. So right. I'll take it. And as we go through this, I'm gonna tell you that there's already two more. I, I thought about as I was doing these. So, okay. um, but like I said, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna cover uh, the comic book errors. We kind of talked about this last time we were doing. I think that's the second part of of uh, Aquaman. You know, we're gonna cover right. the Golden Age, Silver Age. Bronze Age and obviously the modern age here. Um, this episode is going to cover the Golden Age and Silver Age. Uh, and we're just going to go through the brief age, uh, the, the, the brief history. We're going to talk about some of the major comics in, in these in these ages. And I, I, especially for Golden Age and Silver Age, I, I really want to focus on the impact of the American culture uh, <clears throat> for for this. Um, I know we didn't really do a lot of talking on this one, but I, I did tell you that I found two actually pretty good audiobooks that are going to be I'm I'm using for not just this episode or the next episode. Um, the first one was Superheroes, Capes, Cows, and the Creation of Comic Book Culture by Lawrence uh, Malson and Michael Cantor. Got this on Audible. Um, it's 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 a lot, <laughs> and it covers a lot. <laughs> in there, and then the second one was Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe, which um, I'm not gonna lie, that one right there, and actually going through both of these, kind of made me think that we just need to go ahead and do a, a Marvel Comics and a DC Comics like history thing because it's very very fascinating how both of these companies approach comic books, and we're gonna get into it, especially when we talk about a little bit about the Golden Age and, and, and Silver Age stuff. But there's so much stuff here that we just literally can't cover. It's 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 a it's a really fascinating thing. So, um, the Golden Age is considered uh, from 1938 with the debut of uh, Action Comics number one through 1950, and then the Silver Age runs from 1956 to about 1970. I don't know. I found a I found it hard to find anybody give a, a true definition to the end of the Silver Age of comics. For me, the end of the for me the end of the Silver Age is Crisis. That makes sense. 
What, what, just because I feel like that was because that was kind of the the market and kind of everyone saying, "Oh, we've now seen Dark Knight Returns, we've seen Watchmen, we've seen these deconstruction of superheroes," and that was the angle they were going to take going forward. And Crisis was kind of the final hurrah to like the Batman and Zara and R and 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 like the the the, the mini deaths of the Flash and things of that nature. That's a little late though, because a lot of people ended like in the seventies. That ended like in the eighties. Yeah, right? but like. I, for me, no, but I feel, it, I feel it, you it, though. I feel you on that though. And on your, on your logic. Silver Age for me, it kind of so the Silver Age for me is harder to define than the Golden Age. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Because of the such a, a clear line of delineation between gold and silver. Right. Absolutely. Like I want to say that the Golden Age is probably the most well defined era. Mm-hmm. Because for sure. I mean, honestly, it, it, you know, you know, the Comic Code Authority comes in and pretty much like ends everybody else, but like superhero comics. You know, and it, it it literally launches the the start of you know all these superheroes, and we'll 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 get into that as we when we get to it. But like like you said, it's it's very very well defined in American culture and in, and and what happens what's, what's going on with comics. Everywhere else, it gets muddled. <laughs> it gets very very muddled. Um, so before we get into uh the golden age stuff, I kind of want to go a little bit like a little bit pre golden age um because right. we kind of got to talk about like you know how we got to the point of action comic number one like we come in and say action comics number one comes in in 1938 and that's the start of the golden age but it's like how did we get to that point right and there's you know at this time we had pulp magazines and comic strips you know uh mm-hmm. pulp magazines were basically inexpensive fictional magazines and and you had about 128 pages, and and they they come they covered horror, romance, westerns were the big ones. Detective right. stories were were big, and um, these are bread and butter. And I think a lot of the characters that were some of the characters that were they came from those. I think sometimes people care, confuse those with comic book characters, right? right? You had things like Doc Savage, Kazar, the Phantom Detective. Uh, the Shadow, Buck Rogers. But, it's, but those are the beginning of the archetypes that would feed into superhero comics. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You see their DNA everywhere. Right. My favorite one was going through this and looking at some of these. Because, like, I, I, when, I, when I read some of these names, I go, I go, oh, well, I thought those were comic book characters. And you find out, oh, no, no, yeah. these, were, these were characters in pulp magazines that people, you know, young kids got for, like, you know, pennies or uh, dimes to read and... And 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 not just young kids. I would think some adults too. And 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 this was their narrative stories. Um, my favorite one that I found about, and I didn't know about this, was the Green Llama. And mm. it's uh, is is a Buddhist llama is basically a teacher, and, and he wore green robes and was in a red scarf. And I was like, Yo, why have I never heard about this? Apparently, it's not a public domain character. The creator for him maintained the rights and never sold Wait, them. Wait, really, dude? I found. I, it was a weird thing. I, found, I was like, "What the fuck is what the fuck is the Green Llama?" And we're gonna get into this later on when we talk about like some of the what happened with some of these characters and some of the negative sides of what happened with some of these creators. The fact that, that Kendall Foster Cross and maintained the rights, which is why the Green Llama is not a a public domain character, I was like, "That's a foresight that so many people." I mean, not like he's making a lot of money off of it. That's a force right. on a lot of the people that did not have at that time. Like it was, it was, a, it was, it's one of those things where people say, "Oh, I, I built this for this company. Did you do it under their employee? Because now they own it." It's, it's people were signing away their rights before realizing the things that they were creating had value. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So you had these popular pop, pop, pop magazines, Amazing Stories, Black Mask, Dime Detective, Weird Tales, and all this stuff. Um, then you had the comic strips that actually had some of your popular characters. Like I, I want to say Popeyes was a pop was a was a was a comic strip. Um, there were a couple others there. Um, but going back to what you were saying about, and I, cause I wanted to pull two of these characters out to talk about them from pulp. Cause it goes to what you were saying about the creating of the archetypes that we know of superheroes. And the two were doc Savage and the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, because doc Savage was literally created, uh, and known as the man of bronze. <laughs> and so when you think of Superman being the man of steel, you're like, Are you, this is kind of on the nose guys, a little bit, a little bit on the nose. Um, he had no superpowers, but was basically the, the perfect human being, strength, intelligence, physical abilities, operated out of the Empire State, uh, State Building, although never called it that. Um, and then, uh, this is the one I didn't, I didn't know this. He actually had a Fortress of Solitude in the Arctic. Yeah. And I'm just like, come on, guy. Utility belt, all kinds of weapons, which I'm like, you mean like Batman and the utility belt? Like, it's, it was just so on the nose. I was like, I can't believe they actually did that and people used that. It's, it's, and, what's, and what's cool to me actually about that is like, yeah, people stole it and yeah, they, they updated it, but the idea persists. You know what I'm saying? Well, to me... I say Batman, you think utility belt. I say Superman, where does he live? You say Force of Solitude. Like the, the idea that in 2019 we can still look back at these archetypes that were established so long ago. It's really cool to me. That's one of the cooler things about comics, in my opinion. No, it is. And, and I think that's also why I, I, I feel less, uh, you know, because we're going to get into some people stealing, literally stealing ideas. But in a way, yeah, they, the ideas always came from somewhere. Because when you find out, like when we get into Superman and, and you find out who created Superman, you're like, they're basically kids. They're kids. They were young kids who grew up reading these. You grew up reading Doc Savage and going, wouldn't it be cool if I created my own character? And you pull things from what you know. You pull things from what you read and what you liked growing up. And so it makes sense that you would get a popular character like this and it would form an archetype that people would would pull from. Uh, You you had the shadow, which I found that I remember watching (laughs) the the, uh, Alec Baldwin shadow movie that came out like in the 90s. Oh, no. Yeah, I did. (laughs) The shadow knows and shit? The shadow knows. But I never never knew where. I I remember I was a kid, so I watched anything that came on TV. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know that literally the characters are kind of an accident that. um, So the Street and Smith Publishing Company. Uh, was was putting out different magazines, pulp magazines, and things like that. To they they were kind of losing sales. So in order to boost their sales, and I find this again, what 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 I'm about to talk about is not just the character being an archetype, but what they did to market it. They decided they were going to launch the detective radio show, and they mm-hmm. created a character called the Shadow, who would read the a mysterious narrator who would read these detective stories and it turns out that people were more interested in the mysterious <laughs> radio sure. hosts than the actual detective stories but so two things about this one i found it interesting that you know you have uh these uh um that that this publishing company decided to use the another medium to sell try to sell their magazines it didn't work well, I guess kind of it did because the, the 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 shadow took off. But like right. they use they use one medium to pr- pr- to to promote the other one, which we see nowadays, right? Where we see the movies promoting the comics, the comics promoting the movies, and things like that. So you you have you know the first glimpses of this. 
But then you had the shadow where, like you said, who knows what 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 evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows, and it's this mysterious dark character. So when you had the shadow and you had Doc Dark Doc Savage, where Doc Savage literally the 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 light in the the epitome of the man of bronze and he's just this perfect man and you have this shirtless adventurer right it's it's you 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 have superman and batman exactly the er, early superman and batman is doc savage and in, in, in the shadow and i just found that completely like that makes sense you know and and it makes sense that you start there and you kind of build out from there um so I think the first comic book, and I, I don't have the original dimensions of it, but they, they started making comic books a shorter dimension because these magazines were like 128 pages. So when you get into the comic book format, we're talking, I think they, they brought it down to like 64. Then they halved it. And they also made a smaller format. And the first comic book they used that was uh, Famous Funnies in 1933. It was just a reprint of popular comic strips in a new format. Um, and uh, I guess we can kind of get into Detective Comics Incorporated and how that got started um, and, and leading us into Action Comics number one, which is literally the birth of the Golden Age. Um, um, Major Malcolm Wheeler Nick Nicholson uh, founded the National Allied Publications in 1934. Uh, kind of flopped. You know, started with New Fun Comics, lost funding. He then approaches Independent News Corporation run by Harry Donfeld and Jack Leibowitz. And again, you're going to see this very often. Uh, people coming to somebody with an idea and getting shoved out. Nicholson literally, they, they literally take this from Nicholson. <laughs> they take oh, yeah. they, they, they they take this out. So he goes he goes to them for funding, and they basically say, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll help, we'll, we'll we'll fund your stuff, but you basically got to sign off most most of your rights to us." And uh, they then form New Comics and Detective Comics under the banner of Detective Comics Incorporated, which later becomes DC Comics. Right. Uh, so I know some people might not know that DC Comics stands for Detective Comics. Go figure, right? Um. So in 1938, uh, Wheeler Nicholson got cut out completely, which is weird because the same year that Action Comic Number One comes out, and so he literally <laughs> so loses. Strange. Right, it's just weird. <laughs> it's so strange weird how that works. Um, and so uh, Jerry Siegel and, and and Joe Schuster are they were two young Jewish boys, grew up as friends. I believe it was Cleveland. I believe that's where they grew up. Yes. Um, and. They come up with this idea. So it's so funny to me that their original pitch to uh, Detective Comics for getting... They, I, I believe they wanted to put Superman... They came up with the character Superman. I believe they wanted to get him into... Because, again, comics don't exist. I mean, they, 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 nobody really is, is aiming to get into a comic book. You're kind of aiming to get into a, a newspaper strip. Because your right. newspaper... I guess the one thing we didn't talk about is... Like in this time, the newspaper was huge, massive. You, you got to get in the newspaper. So they're trying to get their their Superman strip into a newspaper, and <laughs> it gets rejected. <laughs> they don't get Superman gets rejected the first time they they write some for Superman. It gets rejected. Um, but uh, I think Lieberwitz and, and, and uh, Lieberwitz and, and Donenfeld are trying to get out this action comics number one and they 
I think they they the the original opening they had they lost, and so they're trying to find something to put into this into this 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 comic, and somebody remembered that strip of Superman, and they're like, all right, cool, let's go get it. They kind of rewrote it a little bit, and yeah. you got to remember, and we're gonna see this in in, in the Golden Age and and and, and the Silver Age a lot. These comic books were anthologies, right? Like Superman gets thirteen, I guess maybe fourteen pages in a sixty-four page comic. Right. You know, there was like eleven pages on Zatara, the Magic Magician. There's a two-page text feature on something else. Like, you know, Action Comics number one is sixty-four pages. Only thirteen to fourteen of those are Superman. And uh, before we move too far on, I would be remiss if we didn't mention Will Eisner. Um, oh yeah. yeah. A lot of people are aware of the Eisner Awards are coming out at the end of every year for excellent comic books. Will Eisner, so like Chris mentioned, newspapers are huge, but Will Eisner is the first person who said, what if I took these strips and put them in a book and told a longer story? Mm-hmm. And so just, just a footnote here, Will Eisner, is, that's the reason the Eisner Awards are named that. He's the first one who said, these strips could be a book and change the medium forever. And it's one of... It's, it's what I tell everyone is one of the three, the only three American, true American inventions are comic books, professional wrestling, and uh, the blues. Mm-hmm. And all, everything came from like rock and roll rap, everything came from that. So this is it. This is one of those things that changed, the, that America gave the world, that literally changed the world. And, and, and I believe that what, what Will Eisner did is he basically, I don't, maybe I'm wrong on this one. I want to say he almost created the idea of the bullpen where he basically had a pit of like, a group of like artists and, and creators that could, they, 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 they did these, they, they, they would write these stories to put together. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, going back to the audiobook I had the uh, superheroes, capes and cows. They, they have a, a, a significant section on Will Eisner. And it's so funny when you're listening to this and hearing these creator names and, and, and these people come up and you're like, Oh, that's where that came. That's why he's important. So, um, so, Here's the funny thing. So for that, those thirteen, the thirteen pages of Superman in Action Comics number one, Siegel and Schuster, guess how much Siegel and Schuster, Schuster were paid for that? Oh, I can't. I don't want to know. Ugh. A hundred and thirty bucks. Ugh. It took Allied a while to realize because they, they so the, the the Action Comics number one sold 200,000 200, copies in the print run, sold out. It took them a while to realize that it sold out because of Superman, though. So, because again, this is not like this is not like today's day where you just you know run the numbers and you're like, all right, cool. It took them a while to realize that Superman is the reason why Action Comics number one sold that sold so much. And to this day, Action Comics, I believe, is the most valuable com- Ac- the, the, the it's the highest valued and sold a comic uh, of a single issue. Uh, so it was Action Comics number one. Like it is, it is that valuable and. To think that the people that created it, because later on you go through this, you see that Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster, um, they really, they they really struggled with the idea of because Superman wasn't just like the first superhero comic character to take off in the in in the comic book medium. You later on get like Superman everything, you get Superman serials, uh, uh, movie serials, you get you get Superman in a cartoon. Like I remember that adventure uh, that. that that Superman, that 1960s uh, Superman cartoon right. that they did, I had that on VHS. I watched wow. it as a kid. Right. I watched it as a kid. All right? Siegel and Schuster really didn't see any money from that at all. <laughs> and so, 
as I'm going through this stuff, it's like it's incredible to see how these things were created. But then it also is kind of sad to know that a lot of these creators, again, different time. Not not to say that it's excusing, but like a lot of these creators just did not get. Well, well, how different is the time now? Because this is interesting. Because I was thinking about this when we're reading the stuff. Excuse me. A lot of the things that you see, like where I bitch about um, independent books not buying them till they're collected, or being frustrated with that, or when you see like GoFundMe's that don't quite make it, or you see a book start and not finish. The troubles and tribulations you see in publishing now have always existed. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get shit published. Like you said, Action Comics lost stuff in their anthology. It's why they added the Superman story. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see how much things have changed, but at the same time, like you said, creator rights and owner rights and things of that nature and creators being compensated. But at the same time, like the, the, the basic strictures of the medium still exist. It's still a problem sometimes. Right, and because we're going to because the next character that they ended up creating was Batman with Bob Finger and and I mean uh, uh Bill Finger and, and um and, and Bob Kane. And remember, I'm we, we first, by the way. You said what now? I mean, I'm glad you went Finger first. Yes. Well, because I was about to bring this up. It's like we and we talked about this when we did our ba- Batman episode. Um, Bob Kane did some legal maneuvering to make sure he was tied to, to tied to tied to Batman for the next forty de- four decades, where Bill Finger kind of gets lost to history until. Relatively recently, right? Um, After, I think the the documentary I, I believe is called Bill and Me. Yep, it's Bill and Me. It's on. I think it's still on Hulu. It was on Netflix recently. Go watch it, please. Um, if anything, if you don't give a shit about Batman, but you are interested in character rights, watch this documentary. If you do give a shit about Batman, you may never say Bob Kane's name again. Yeah, no. Um, it's it's so. So you, you and I have talked about this before. Like you know how I feel about this. Mm-hmm. The Bill Finger of it all, like he, everything you love about Batman was Bill Finger. Yep. The Bob Kane drawing of Batman, that everyone's like, oh, look what it could have been. That's if Bill never was like, those were all bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Robin, Catwoman, Batcave, Batmobile, Alfred, Joker, Bill. And we're not talking about the 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 the, the pre complicator now. Now we're now we're not talking about action comics number one. This is proving these things can make money. Bob Kane had the wherewithal to say, "Let me box this motherfucker out." Yep. Was it taking the comics number twenty seven? And um, yeah, it's 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 kind of, it's, it's really fucked up. Um, so so when you see that these are the first two first two superhero characters out of DC Comics, Detective Comics at this time to take off. With Superman on one side, you got Batman. And remember, Superman is created as basically, you know, you, you get the basic origin of him. And, and, I, and I, it, it didn't hit me until later on that I realized this is like, and we'll get more into this in the, in the Silver Age, but like, it makes so much sense to me that DC is, even today, is so Batman and Superman focused because these are their first two hits. And they just ran them. Yeah, they, and they always go back to them. It's everything. Like you have again, they're your Doc Savage and your and your 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 shadow. You have, you know, Superman, which is Man of Steel from another world who comes here to to uh 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 learn the channel of strength to benefit mankind and be a Superman. Uh, and then you have Batman who's literally just a regular guy uh that can do uh that that can that can be a hero and you have your 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 almost human and your god and literally all the other characters that DC creates fall in between. 
Yeah. Like that's that's it. And so like you said, they're their two cornerstones. Like no matter what happens, there's always Batman and Superman. And when we get into the Silver Age, we'll talk about this, how they go back to the reboot characters. You know the two characters that don't really get rebooted? Yep. Batman and Superman. Yep. Batman and Superman are two golden age characters. And when you go back and look at it, they are the only two characters that DC has created whose origin stories are the same as their golden age characters. Now, again, missing the idea that, you know, they brought in, you know, Alan Scott and, and Jay right. Garrett and things like that. But again, they, 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 they kind of replace both of those characters. They're still, they still exist in the continuity today, but they replace them. Batman and Superman were never replaced. They were never rebooted. Same origin that, that, that you got with Batman in the Golden Age, same general origin you had. There's some smoothing over time, but like you're right, the basic story of Orphan sent from a faraway planet to, to be on our planet, and boy, watched parents gun down in an alley, which you've seen in every Batman movie ever recorded. Holy shit, stop filming it. Um, sorry, that's just on my chest. Yeah, no. You're right. It's 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 and it's so beautifully done. And that's why when I see like things like uh, one of the criticisms of Authority was that oh, Paula Midnight are like oh, of course doing the Batman Superman trope. Those aren't Batman Superman tropes. Those are just heroic tropes. They built on heroic tropes. They because they're so well founded. Because they're so like you said unaltered. They end up being a touchstone for a lot of different characters. Like you can go to any Marvel character and pull out pieces of them to. What are the how many degrees of separation is Wolverine from Batman? Mm-hmm. How many degrees of separation is Captain America from Superman? Like, let's have those real conversations because you see that their DNA is seeded everywhere. So, while you can say, Oh, I'm not a DC guy or I don't love Superman, I think that Batman's boring. Every character you've liked since 1939 is influenced directly by them because you can't, you can't get back. You got to think about that. How do you get away from it? You, you can't, right? Superman is literally. A, a person, uh, the, orphan, the orphan superhero is a thing, right? You can't, you can't. Orphan superhero who who doesn't let his uh, the 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 death of his parents and the in the depth and the, the fate of his world define him and literally goes out to try to be a ray of sunshine and hope versus the, the opposite side, which is you have someone whose parents are killed by crime and literally decide to become the force of uh, still fight crime but become a shadow in the force of darkness, like literally everything falls in between like there's no way you can't touch on either one either one of those aspects if you have any kind of tragedy in your life you're gonna fall somewhere in between both of those characters there's no escaping it right and in in a way it's great but i also think that also kind of comes back to where dc had their issues because when you have both of those characters and you have everything full in between it nothing ever lives up right Right, and, and then and then elders of the community who you can't reach up to. I'll tell you this. I know we're not talking about modern age, but I was thinking about that Tom King, um, the double data issues, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting that that juxtaposition still in 2019 plays out so well. Yeah, because at their core, they're just two sides at the same point, and watching them talk about each other and talking as a beautiful. He found their voices very well in those two issues. Yeah. But having them talk about each other in such a way and both, both admirable but also like confused by the other one, like how does he do it? Like he lost an entire planet. Like his people are fucking gone. How does he find it himself <laughs> to fight for these people who don't deserve it? And then same time he says about Batman, he's like, I cannot imagine watching my parents die. I can't imagine having that peace, that, that, that love around me and having it ripped away, and that you still find the love and compassion in your heart to fight for other people. Like 
their amazement at each other is kind of the audience amazement is what we kind of, I guess, become desensitized to mm-hmm. because the story is so well known and so well wrought, well, uh, well trod at this point. But it's an amazing fucking story. Both of them are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Another interesting thing that DC does around this time, and if you're wondering why we're talking, focusing so much on DC, uh, I, I I put it this way: DC Comics really owns the Golden Age. Like we'll we'll get the time for superheroes, where, for superheroes. So, huh? Yeah, for, for superheroes for, superhero. for sure. For superheroes, yes. Uh, when we get into Silver Age, trust me, uh, Marvel explodes, and we'll talk a lot about what goes on with Marvel then. So, right. So you have uh, Detective Comics twenty uh, twenty seven. Has uh, Batman in March 39. I want to say the following year. Yeah, following year to the comic 38. You introduce Robin. And Robin becomes. Wonder. Huh? The Boy Wonder. Yeah. Uh, and you got to realize at this time, I, I want to say, the, I, I had some stats on this. It was like early 1940, about 90% of boys, 7 to 17, and 90% of girls read some kind of comic book. We're talking about a true saturation point for this comic. Like for so everyone's like, oh, the comic boom in the nineties. Fuck the nineties. This was the comics boom. Yeah. Again, and, and guess ten cent comics. You got ten cents, you can get a comic. And I, and and I was reading I was, when I was listening to this book, they were talking about how also you know they it also introduced like the trading culture where you have ten cents, you buy a comic. Your your buddy has ten cents, they buy a comic. Then you trade, you trade. So now there's two comics that you guys both read them because now you can trade them amongst each other, you know, uh, to read, to, to read each other's comics. And so it's like, you know, so when, when Robin gets introduced, you then start, and I know we haven't gotten into the, the timely comics and Captain America, stuff like that, but you get, you get Bucky, uh, the flame head Toro, uh, you had green arrow introduced speedy because now comic book, uh, comic book creators are going like, we can reach these kids. If we create kid superheroes. You know, and 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 people that uh, and characters that these kids can relate to, you know, uh, the, we'll sell even more comics, right? It becomes that thing of targeting the audiences mm-hmm. there. Um, it's the same idea that we see today. It's it's they want to have the child viewpoint characters. Why Bumblebee became this popular Transformer, which makes no goddamn sense to me, but it's here where we are. <laughs> um, also around this time, uh, so because like the 1939, so you you also then get this. Explosion, kind of like we were talking about with with with, with the shadow. This explosion of other mediums with Superman, like Superman became huge. I, and I and I was reading some of the stuff I didn't know. This like the so the the New York World's Fair was in 1939 in April, and they were celebrating the world of tomorrow. And Superman is the man of tomorrow, and so they had Superman Day. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and it's it it was crazy. They did a radio show. That ran from 1940 to 1951 and had over 2,000 episodes. You know, that's where you get the "It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman." You, you get that. Um, yep. They did uh, movie serials, and we'll get into Fawcett Comics and Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel actually beat uh, Superman to the movie serials. But they and, and Adventures of Captain Marvel was the first live action comic book film. To, to to be perfectly honest, but you had all this stuff with, with Superman and. Selling, they were they were selling Superman comics to to, to GIs overseas. You know, it, it was it was all this stuff, and it's just you got this saturation of comics and, and superhero characters in pop culture. Um, let's see. Uh, sorry, 
close my notes real quick. Uh, nineteen uh, winter nineteen forty, I believe, is when you get um the All Star Comic number three is the Justice, Justice Society of America, and I, I found this interesting because uh apparently there's this idea, hey, let's bring all these superheroes together, right, and, and put them in right. one book, and so they brought the Flash, Hawkman, Doctor Fate, Green Lantern, Our Man, Sandman, uh, the Atom, and the Spectre, and they put them into the the, the, the JSA. And what I found so funny about this was, like, apparently there was, like, this unofficial thing where if you got your own title, you you had to relinquish your membership to the GSA. So, like, when The Flash got his own book, like, you were out out of the GSA. You know, when Greenlander got his own book, you're out of the GSA. Well, well, it was was the smart thing to do because what they figured out was, oh, we've got these characters that are hits. We have these characters that may not be hits, but we don't want to give them a shot. So what they did was they created this team book where they could feature all these different characters and get away from the anthology so you could see different aspects in there. While I think it was harder to do market research at the time, you get, you're right. There are people who would say, oh, now we're going to give Hawkman a book for a while. So guess what? Hawkman's not in the JSA anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, if you want to get like real technical, it was kind of the beginnings of a shared universe. Yeah. 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 Although, um, when we get the time, we definitely did, they definitely did it in Timely. Yeah, but you're right. You bring all these characters right. together, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, you know. Now you have all these characters. Like you said, once a character takes off popular, you get them out, put another character in there, see if they become popular. It, like you said, right. it, was a, it was a smart it was idea. Winners. Right. Um, again, we're talking about the 1940s, so obviously this is World War II. II. So this introduced, uh, this is where you kind of get your Wonder Woman stuff coming in because you have, again, I didn't even think about this until I started listening to this book. It's like, you have the inter- with, 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 with World War II, you start having, you know, your, your men are going overseas to fight the wars. You have more women now entering the workplace at home because the only people that are left are back, back, back home are like women. So you start introducing, uh, they start introducing more women into comics and you get, you, you still don't have like, they, they're, they're not really female superheroes. They're still like these stereotypes almost. But then you get Wonder Woman. Um, and what was that? That was. All-Star Comics number eight, I believe, October 1941, is uh, uh, Wilma Marston uh, introduces Wonder Woman, which, uh, honestly, it was one of those weird things where it basically allows him to combine his scientific ideas and his sexual beliefs into one, into one, <laughs> into one if, character. If, if you enjoy what you do, it's never work. I, hey, listen, I, <laughs> not, not even hating, not even, not even hating on him. Um, and so what you get here is from 1938 to the end of 1941, DC took in $2.6 million. Now I know what you're thinking. It's like, oh, $2.6 million, that's not a lot. In 1941 money, money? So, and I'm not even saying, I'm sorry, not even from 1938 to 1941. In 1941 alone, in, in, at, at the end of 1941, that year, DC took in $2.6 million. That's $35 million in today's money. So going from... What the fuck is a comic book? What the fuck are superheroes? To three years later, bringing in $35 million? It's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. And it lets you know that you found something. You found something that resonates with people, with, with, with like you said, youth, with adults. You're sitting now, because of the World War II part, you're able to add in the propaganda aspect. So you got them actually fighting Nazis. Right. And so... Which was, I find that kind of weird. Like, so the JSA did, the JSA fought Nazis, did things like, um, uh, 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 like helping war orphans to do things like that. You know, the two characters didn't though, right? No, nigga. 
Superman and Batman. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, and I found it funny. So apparently, what they did with Superman is they had it so that he was going to sign up for the. He was going to go to the war as, as as Clark Kent, but his you know his his X ray vision had him reading the wrong eye chart. So literally, Superman couldn't go to couldn't get into the army because <laughs> he failed the eye exam. <laughs> but it also goes back to the the, the 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 problem with Superman, right? It's like. Well, you can't have Superman in the war because if Superman's in the war, war's over. And so you can't right. have the war. You can't, right. have, you can't have the. You can't have the. You can't. Right. Can't. It's stories like the 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 Nazis have the spear of destiny. Right, right, right. So it's like we can't have Superman in the war because honestly, again, remember this is nineteen forty one. War ain't close to being over right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can't you can't have Superman come in and have you your can't have Superman the Nazis. Right, right. So. So that's how they deal with it. But you're right. Some of the other characters, uh, like the GSA and things like that, kind of help, kind of did that. And obviously, when we get into Timely and Captain America, obviously, you have that there. But yeah, you couldn't have you know, Batman and Superman pretty much stayed out of it. So Batman's whole thing was, well, you know, I'll let the let the you know the the military handle overseas, and I'll take care of Gotham back home. I'm like, that's a cop out. That's a cop out. But it's a cop out. But it's also it owes to the timeless nature of this comic. It was um, so this week. Carol Channing died, and I was talking to someone about this, and I was reading an old interview from um, I forget who it was, but he was talking about Clark Gable because in the forties, people said Clark Gable's the face of the, the, the century, and by the nineties, like fuck, who the fuck thinks about Clark Gable? And what's interesting is how timeless Batman and Superman still are. Like you know what I'm saying? Like. Everything's kind of grown and changed around them, but they've been very, and especially Superman, because if you think about Superman's like first stories, he's taking down corporate fat cats. He's taking like he's very much like he's working for the unions and all that shit. And then it's almost like they saw that this had such legs, they had to depoliticize it. Mm-hmm. It had to. Well, also part of it's like Superman can't lose to Nazis until this war is over. We're not going to put him in the in, in the field with Nazis. But you're right. It's 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 striking looking back to see what characters were allowed to dip their toes in this. Uh, Wonder Woman fought Nazis. Yeah. 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 Just interesting. Yeah. Uh, speaking of interesting, let's take a little, like we're going to spend a little bit of time on this because we we're definitely going to get more into it in um, March when we do uh, Sazam, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Fossa Comics and Captain Marvel. Uh, so Fossa was an interesting company to me because it, 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 it all these other publishers that were dealing with comic books were in New York. And Fawcett was, I think, I want to say, like, Kentucky. Yeah. So it was, like, in, in the Midwest. And um, so at this point, everybody's kind of trying to, hey, just make, make Superman. Like, somebody, you know, everybody does Superman. Let's, let's find your own Superman. And so what Bill Parker and C.C. Beck do is make him like Superman. And it's actually not a bad idea. Make him like Superman with the identity of an 11 year old boy. Which I think helped because now you're deeming that appeal of kids, but all your other kid superheroes at this time or, 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 or uh, at this point, they're sidekicks. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're, they're not heroes in themselves. Like Robin is, is Batman and Robin, it's, right. it's Green Arrow and, and Speedy. Like, they're sidekicks. They're like, nobody, the, the kids, like, is, is a weird thing of, you know, these sidekicks, the, the, the sidekicks were created to appeal to kids. But like, when you really think about it, it's like, when you're a kid and you're reading a Batman and Robin comic book, who wants to be Robin when you want to be Batman? <laughs> That's a good point. Like, who wants to be, who wants to be the sidekick? No, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be the hero himself. So here, when you get Sazam, 
you have a young boy who literally becomes as strong as Superman, which is literally what every kid wants to be. And it actually became really successful for them. You know, it, it, Captain Marvel sales surpassed Superman, threatened Detective Comics. Um, they end up becoming a whole Marvel family with, I think they went a little far with this, like Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. Like, I, this is Zam, this, this is Zam character corner. It's going to be a, a trip, guys. I'm just letting you guys know. I it's, can't it's, decide if I'm showing up for that. It's going to be, it's going to be yeah. a mess. Just, I'm just letting you guys know right now, it's, it's going to be a mess. Um, <laughs> the Captain Marvel Club had 400,000 members. 400,000 members, no internets, no, te- no, there's no, there's no, there's no hotline. There's no website. This is kids reading this book and writing it and sending money to join this fan club. Think about what it would take today to mobilize 400,000 people, sans internet, sans cell phone. I- you couldn't do it. I mean, you can't, I, you can't hate that Fawcett has something there. Unless you're DC Comics and you sue them because your character is too close to Salt E. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just... This is... It was so petty because, honestly, while the character kind of... Like, the drawing kind of looks like a little bit like Superman, the character really isn't... It's not Superman. And it's very, very... But but if I'm DC, I'll see you in court, man. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying... That DC wasn't right to try. And they, it was one of those things is like, you know, might as well try and see what happens. And they did. They, they, um, they had a ruling in 1951 and, uh, Fawcett had to pay $400,000 in damage. And that was the end of Captain Marvel, uh, for that time being. So we will, again, we'll get more into more details than that when we do our Captain Marvel, uh, character corner because, uh, I, I but I felt like it, it, it had to be brought up that, Again, you had you see the power of superheroes that you know. And again, remember we mentioned it before they even beat um, they even beat DC and Superman to the to the live action. Adventures of Adventures of Captain Marvel was 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 the first superhero serial movie serial that came out before um, Superman did. So I can see why DC was a little fucking salty. They were wrong as fuck, but. It worked. <laughs> I mean, look, they won, right? And, and, and that's the thing I got to say about a lot of this stuff. Sometimes some of the shit is so shady and going to be like, it's shady as fuck, but it did work. This is the beginning of a pattern you'll see with DC where people see, they take their inspirations obviously from the, the, the most prominent figures in the time, and DC will sue you and then buy you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, and, 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 and again, to, to, to hammer this home, because it's going to definitely come, come, come the difference between Marvel and we get into Silver Age, Marvel, and DC. DC is really corporate at this point. Like they, they remember, remember uh, you know, uh, Nicholson Wheeler, Wheeler Nicholson went to, to I believe it was, to, to what was it, National, uh, and and that was a corporation. And this was this was this was a corporate thing. And when you look at what what's happening now, when we see Marvel Studios versus DC Studios in their films, you're like, why does it always feel like WB's in the way? And it feels like so corporate, and they're not, they're not able to get what they need to get. It's been like this since the beginning. Not saying that they can't be successful, not saying that they can't make money, but it's like it's a very, very corporate structure. Even under the idea that, like, during the wartime, there's war rationing. DC didn't have to ration. 
Mm-mm. They didn't have to. They had the money. They didn't have to ration their... They, 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 they didn't have to go up the 64 pages. Like, other comics and other things were given up the 64 pages because they, they had to ration them. They didn't have to do that. They didn't do that. And one out of four magazines shipped to servicemen were uh, comic books. 25 million co- copies sold during this time. Um, so, we've been kind of rewarding. Let's talk a little bit about... So, in the golden age, let's talk a little about timely comics. Let's do it. Uh, Martin Goodman uh, was, I believe, the, 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 the publisher of uh, Timely Comics. And Timely, we go from Timely to Atlas to, to Marvel. And if you're wondering, like, the times and when the name changes, it was so unceremoniously when they changed their name. It's ridiculous. Um, their first character uh, was the Human Torch. It was, it was basically both. The Human Torch and Namor the Submariner both debuted. So I, I, technically, Namor was first because Namor... Created by Bill, I believe it was Bill Everett in April of 1939. It was for motion picture funnies, which is supposed to be a comic that basically they hand out for free to kids at movie theaters. Um, the, they end up not doing the comic. So uh, Namor was created then, but was, ended up getting rolled into Marvel Comics number one with the Human Torch and their own little separate stories. Um, and... Uh, uh, he was a mutant son of a, a human sea captain and princess of Atlantis. If that sounds something very familiar that we covered very recently, kind of. Uh, he was an antihero, uh, kind of an asshole too. Um, the Human Torch was a was a humanoid ro- uh, android created in a lab. Took the name John Hammond, uh, and the first issue of that was kind of horror. And there's a lot of horror elements to a lot of these, all these comics, not just timely comics, but all these comics because. Horror and and sci-fi and detective comics. I mean, and, and detective stories are the things I sold in pulp magazines. So it's clearly that they would lean on that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, Android, you know, first first issue was basically him having hard time controlling his powers. Both of these characters debut in Marvel Comics number one in October nineteen thirty nine. Um, what I found interesting is. That the difference between what they did with these two characters, just these two characters alone in, in the Human Torch and 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 Namor, compared to what uh, DC did with Batman and Superman, is these char- you you get the start of this idea that Marvel and in, in this time timely is taking that world outside your window view. Because the Human Torch and Namor, they weren't in some nameless city. They operated out of New York. They named New York. Namor would jump into the Hudson River. You know, uh, uh, the Human Torch, his, his alter ego was, was, was a fucking cop, an NYPD officer. Right. And what they end up doing is, this also then becomes not only this world outside your window, but it then also becomes this, uh, th- this um, real unified universe, because at one point in the stories, uh, Namor ends up dealing with this woman who is also uh, works with or is dating the Human Torch, and you get this issue where you have the Human Torch and Namor fighting, and then they work together later on. So now you've had this combined thing. And is not what DC was doing. They weren't, you, you, you had the, you, you saw the slow buildup of, Hey, both of these characters are in New York. Are they not going to meet? 
and it was unheard of at the time because yeah every now and then you did get superman here in the issue and share a cover with batman but they were still kind of in their own world here you right. really had this idea of a unified comic book universe you know and um it, it it's it's just very interesting when you go back and look at this and read how they came about with these characters and, and how both both what eventually becomes Marvel and what you have a, a Detective Comics, DC Comics, how they both took two different approaches and how it, it's so similar to today. It's, yeah. It, 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 just, yeah. it just is. Um, so, uh, so those were the first two characters uh, for, 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 for Timely Comics in the Golden Age. Then you get Joe Simon, and then he brings in this young man named Jacob Kirchberg. It took me a while to realize that it was Jack Kirby. I was like, yo, I know this. I know, because the way, again, I like these audiobooks. So the way the audiobooks are said, with, he was, he, the way they were reading this, that you was like, yo, why did he mention this motherfucker? Like, he was kind of a, I think he was, a, he was like, kind of like a thug. Was it, I can't remember, was it Joe Simon? Jack Kirby. Maybe it's that Jack Kirby, like, what you feeling in Nazis? Punch him in the fucking face. Like, like Jack Kirby. Well, I think, I, I, I can't remember if it was Joe Simon or if it was Jack Kirby. One of them was like in a game, like in a little game. I, I don't want to say it was Jack. It just sounds like something Jack it Kirby. It feels like a Jack Kirby story. It feels like a Jack Kirby story. Like, he's literally in a gang growing up where they were like, yeah, every now and then I was like, kind of just stay on the corner and beat up kids. I'm like, yo, are you, is this near, you, you're not, are you serious right now? Are we, are we doing that? Um, so, uh, you know, there were other, during this time, there were other publishers going on. And one of them was like, um, uh, MLJ was, and then later becomes Archie comics and they had this character called the shield. And <laughs> so, uh, Joe Simon comes up with this idea for captain America kind of based off of the idea of this character called the shield. Um, and he says, I, I wrote the name super American at the bottom of the page. And then he goes, nope, that didn't work. There are too many supers around because you have a lot of everybody's going with Superman, super this, super that. So he decided like Captain America sounds like a good sound to it. And there weren't a lot of captains in comics. And the boy companion was simply named Bucky. And after my friend Bucky Pearson, started on our high school basketball team. Um, and um, Captain America was born, drawn by Jack Kirk. And uh, it's. Man. <sighs> You, you, he punches Hitler. Superman wasn't allowed in war. Batman stayed in Gotham. Captain America is a direct product of war. Yeah. The cover was dated. So we're doing the rewatches of the Marvel movies for Between Two Palms. And Susan watched Captain America again. And she was like, because we were both sick in different rooms this past weekend. But she was like, I forgot how great this was. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched it, and I reminded why it's my probably not to this day my favorite, but especially Phase One. Oh, far away my favorite Marvel movie because it proves you could just do a Superman movie. You can do an earnest, good person movie. And the beauty of the early Marvel movies is they really capture those characters. And like, if you want, so it all fresh in my head. But Thor and Iron Man are very much transitionary tales. They tell you how this one person becomes a better person. Mm-hmm. Cap's the same. Yeah, no, he That's is. The yeah. cool thing about Cap is I don't like bullies. And they're stronger. Like, I still don't fucking like bullies. And so... He's just a kid from Brooklyn. You know? just... He's a kid from Brooklyn. And it didn't make him an, an orphan from the stars or a rich kid whose parents were going down. It was a kid from Brooklyn who wanted to help. That's mm-hmm. all he wanted to do was help. And I think it's a product of 
the carriers of the time saying, like you said, with the super thing, a lot of supers, they've got a zig where others are zagging. And it paid off because like we can get all, you can get all in your feelings about how you feel about the symbol of Captain America, what they've done in some of the stories. Captain America is to me, to this day, the purest superhero story. Is a man who wanted to do good, who was given a chance to do more good and said, yes, please. Captain America number one. Captain America Comics number one. There it is. Debuted December 20th, 1940. A, full, a, a year before the attack on Pearl Harbor, but a full year into World War II. What I found interesting about this, though, is that because the cover shows him punching Hitler in the face. The cover. Sold nearly one million copies. Hit him in the face. And, and apparently, so Joe Simon says that uh, they actually got threatening letters and hate mail, hate mail because some people oppose what Cap stood for. Again, this is to me where, uh, again, you see the difference between DC and Marvel. And I'm not trying to say that one's better than the other. But when people sit there and say, keep your policies out of comics, I want my, I want my comics without politics. The, the, the debut of Captain America is him punching a Nazi in the face. Marvel wanted the smoke from day one. And they got hate mail. mail. Well, you gotta, you gotta in World War II, it wasn't a clear delineation of Americans or anti-Nazi. The American mm-hmm. Nazi party was a big fucking deal back then. So yep. this idea that we all hate Nazis is a relatively new one. So then putting him on the cover, punching out Hitler in this environment was ballsy. They were mentioning groups outside. The New York mayor had to uh, contact Simon and Kirby to give them his support. Like it, this was <laughs> issue yeah, like that, and that's what I want to impress. Like issue one, March nineteen forty one, Kirby and Simon punching out Hitler. Uh, around this time, uh, shortly after this, you have uh, Jean Goodman, Martin Goodman's, Goodman's wife. Uh, she he has a she has a cousin, young guy. Might have heard of him. Um, you probably know more by his name of Stan Lee. Shows up to become an, a sense of a timely editor, Joe Simon, because Joe Simon becomes a, uh, an editor. Um, and 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 Lee gets his first break. His first his first writing credit is also a text feature for Captain America's Captain America's foils the Traitor's Revenge, and that's where he signs as Stan Lee. For the first time, because again, comics weren't really respectable. Didn't want to use his real name at the time, so funny how that changes. Mm. Uh, Captain America: Human Torch and, and Submariner get put in the same book, the All Winner Squad. <laughs> which I'm just like, come on, guys. DC had better branding. I'm sorry. <laughs> when it comes yeah. to that, they had better, they had better branding. Um, and um. Again, you know, DC has some of the, the other characters. We're not going to go into all the different characters they create at this time. And Marvel's is 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 is, is nobody touching DC at this point. They're not like, yes, Captain America sold one million copies, but it, it was really just him. Like there was nobody really else. And when the war ends, what are you doing? Um. And as we get close to the end of the Golden Age, let's talk about. One of the d- dumbest things to ever come up, um, the Comic Code Authority, which 
I understand. I, I, apparently, there's this idea that 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 the publishers wanted to kind of self-regulate themselves, kind of like what the Motion Picture Association was doing, but they were late. Like it, it feels like comics came in with this idea to self-regulate themselves with the Comic Code Authority too late. And the rules that they, they came up with didn't make any sense. Like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna read, I'm not going to read all these rules, but I'm going to read some of these rules, and I'm going to read an example that St- Stan Lee gave about to how ridiculous this, the, these authorities were. Like, so you have, crime should never be presented in a way that creates sympathy for the criminal to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice and to inspire others with a desire to imitate crimes. Then what the fuck is the point? <laughs> if you there should can, be nothing appealing about committing crimes, but if, if you if you can't, but here's the thing: how can you how can you relate to a to the villain of the story if you can't create sympathy for that villain? Right, right. You know, uh, if the crime is depicted, it, it shall be of a sordid and unpleasant activity. What what does that mean? Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never. He's presented in a way to create disrespect for established authority. But the whole point of art forms are to buck authority. Yep. So you've just, you've just said that our creative medium, let's just handcuff it right away. Uh, let's see. Scenes of excessive violence shall be prohibited. Scenes of brutal torture, excessive and unnecessary gun, uh, knife and gunplay, physical agony, the gory and gruesome crime shall be eliminated. So I'm going to take that right there. And now I'm going to go into what Stan Lee said of what one of the pictures I guess sent back to him. He was writing, because this entire time, when we talk about, even when we get into Silver Age, we talk about Stan Lee and writing some of the characters he, he creates. He still write again, comics sold, but they didn't sell like the Pulps were selling. Right, they yeah, weren't no. selling. They weren't. They, they weren't selling like the other magazines. They weren't selling like westerns and they like. So, so Stan was talking about how he was. He was, he was I think it was right. They were. They were, They had a. They, I think it was a western comic or something like that. And uh, the the picture was a close up of a hand firing a gun with a big puff of smoke and a straight line with the bullet coming out. Guess what they had issue with? Hmm. The puff of smoke was too big. So Sam was like, so we made the puff of smoke with a little puff, gave them the same image, and it got approved. Um, this happened, I think, more in the, the Silver Age. Marv Wolfman's first... Did you, did you, did you, did you ever hear about Marv Wolfman, Wolf, Wolfman's first uh, uh, credit, where he got his first credit on a book? You said what? No, no, no. <laughs> so uh let me see um uh uh it was the eye of the ball wait no 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 that was his first professional credit i'm trying to i can't remember exactly what it was it was uh i'm trying to forget they don't have it on wikipedia i heard it in the book but long story short is so his name is marv wolfman Apparently, you can't. One of the things you couldn't do is show like certain monsters, and the Comic Code Authority had a problem with it being Wolfman because they thought it was actually like a Wolfman, like an actual like horror Wolfman. So they had to fight to be like, no, 
That's his name. That's actually the name of the one of the writers. I think it was like an anthology story in in um the publisher wanted to basically just like kind of acknowledge the people that are writing the stories, put all their names on the cover, and they were just putting the last names on there. So I think they had to put his full name, Marv Wolfman, on there so that he could get credit because they were like, "It says Wolfman, so you can't do it." It is, it is, it is literally like I, I heard, I had to replay that section over and over again. I was like, no, there's no fucking way they were that stupid. Um, so yeah, cause, cause one of the things is here scenes deal, dealing with, or, or instruments associated with the walking dead torture vampires or vampirism, uh, ghouls, cannibalism or werewolfism is prohibited. Basically, what this does, and this is what ends the, 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 the golden age of comics, um, and then we move into the Silver Age, so the Silver Age basically becomes the, super, the superhero age, if you, th- if you think about it, is. Yep. If, you were, if, you were a, a, um, if you were a horror comic, you were shit out of luck. It, it, so, this one, so the Comic Code Authority didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of the um, Seduction of the Innocent book, mm-hmm. written by Frederick Wortham, 1954. And it basically painted comic books as poisoning the youth of America. Um, he was an expert witness, allegedly, uh, appeared before the Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, and he said that his book points that comics are a major cause of juvenile crime. Um, the, the committee said that he was wrong because he's crazy, because he is. But they also, the comics industry, like you said, in response was like, well, we'll self-regulate. And this is what they came up with. And it's fucking ridiculous. And I can say that in 2019 because they're not in the books. Go through your back issues. They all have that seal. Mm -hmm. All of them. Because they had to. Yeah. Um, you, you get things, I mean, it, it, it ended. Some people was like, oh, I'm out. I'm, I'm no longer writing. Like, um, Harvey Kurtzman. Was writing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, ended up making Mag Magazine. And I found this funny because later on, uh, Mad starts sat, uh, satirizing uh, superheroes. And it's basically his way of getting back because the Comic Code Authority kind of ran him out of comics because it's like, you're, you're, you're making a hard for we can't, we can't write. How can we deal with this? So you go from this golden age, the, the end of the golden age, to now you're into the silver age because um, the only comics that are really left that, are, that, can, that can really do anything are superheroes. You can tell superhero stories to kind of get around some of the, the this comic code authority and the you know um, you know keeping it clean, but it's all full of shit. Like it's it's. But it's it, also it, interesting because once again, comics have been told what they can't do, and then they evolve in another direction. I think that the resiliency of the medium is pretty. Is, oh no, is no, the, you're right. Takeaway from this, like you're right, a lot of things got stymied, a lot of good comics got canceled, a lot of good creators got ran out of the industry. But the the industry's resilience and ability to continue telling stories is a feather in the cap of comic books. Oh yeah, they found a way. They found ways around it. So getting into Silver Age now, um, DC first, and and again, <laughs> the more and more I look at this, the more and more the I'm I'm understanding. As times change, more things stay the same. Um, mm-hmm. DC's answer is the answer to everything they do nowadays. Was to do what? Reboot. Reboot. They, I mean, it, 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 I'm, I'm going through this. I'm like, I don't understand why I never understood this. Like, 
They come back in and they're like, okay, we need to focus on superheroes. What are we going to do? Let's reboot. Let's create a new Flash called Barry Allen. So they go back to Carmine Infantino, who, who I believe was the creators for the original Flash for, for Jay Garrett. Say, hey, we're going we're gonna to bring back the Flash. I want, you to, I want you to come and help us uh, bring back the Flash. They come up with Barry Allen uh, and uh, uh, completely change the origin, new character. When well, that becomes... Go ahead. This is also going to the timeline. This is also during the space race. So the, the, the zeitgeist is kind of obsessed with science. So a lot of those pulpy stories are being updated with more and more science background. You get, obviously, the, the Flash is the perfect, in my opinion, the perfect superhero costume. But also, like, Green Lantern went from a guy with a magic ring to a space cop. Yeah. It was, it was them reflecting the universe around them to create these stories that would be larger than life. And you're right. They, they they leaned on the reboot, but I think something else that DC did was say what, and, and the thing is we, we do stymie that we do decry them for their habits of rebooting. But I think this is one of those times where it's like, I kind of get it. Like it, if, if, if it's, it, it seems a little bit too hard to move the guy who moves as fast as Mercury to make him a science character. So just reboot it because in their minds, like you said, it's so corporate. It's not about the storytelling. It's about the next product on the shelves. And I don't know if you're reading the new Young Justice series by Brian Michael Bendis, but there drops some hints in there where a character references the seven reboots of this universe. (laughs) I was like, oh, shit, are we going to are we going to have a conversation? We need to have a conversation. It as one large like this is the only book I've seen so far. I've got to I'm called this week's DC. I apologize. But. It appears that they're addressing the continuity thing. Right. And you, and you have to. You have to because it's like, it, 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 and again, I, at, at this point, again, in, into the Silver Age, I can't blame them. You know, you bring the Flash in with showcase number four in, 19, in, in 1956 in October, and then you, you were like, okay, that's successful. You come in um, uh, four year, uh, three years later in October 1959, and you bring in you know, Hal Jordan in showcase number 22. It's like, uh, all right, cool. You then technically you reboot the, the, the Justice Society of America as the Justice League of America, you know, and, and the Brave and the Bold in 1960. It's like I, you can't blame them. Then you do this thing where in Flash 123, which we, we talked about before, the Flash of Two Worlds, where you then bring in the original Flash. Right. So now you have the original Flash and you're like, oh, it's, it's, he's from Earth 2. And you're like, wow, you have this idea of this multiverse like I, again i can't blame dc at this point it's like you gotta you, you, you gotta come up with a new era and i i think that nowadays we look back at it and go you lean too heavily on that right but because, at that time but, but yeah. then there was like a, an actual reason that there was a comic code authority there was the, the seduction of the engine trials there was no trial in 85 right <laughs> right there wasn't. I, I looked it up i did the research for this podcast zero trials on comics in 85 <laughs> um now let's get back into let's talk a little bit about Marvel Comics here. All right, can I say this real quickly? Yeah. We're both we I we both grew up Marvel kids. I think that's fair to say. Yep. It feels like in doing this, DC's like, this is a good idea. And Marvel's like, what if we did it but better? Because that's what the Silver Age feels like. The Silver Age for me was the state that was the turning point for me and marvel and dc like dc had the icons of the golden age but the silver age when you said oh let's base it in some more reality and, and let's and let's play on the, the 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 scientific leanings of today 
it's harder to do that in Keystone and Central City. Well, it's harder to do that in Metropolis and Gotham. It's a hell of a lot easier to say New York City, Queens, teenager, bitten at a science experiment. Yeah, and I also want to say that this is one of those examples of a caged animal's most dangerous. Exactly. We see this in Marvel's case a lot of times, too. It, it, absolutely. I mean, when you go back and look at what they did with their movies, you're like, oh, so you guys do your best when you're, uh, you're under pressure and are about to lose everything. It cannot be understated. Because we're going to get into a little bit. We're going to... We're about to get into super Stanley territory here, and I will say this: Look, different time, different ages. Stanley might not have always done the right thing with some some other creators, and might have been a little bit of an asshole. But this is like the Jordan a comic, Michael Jordan a comic books here because he literally takes Marvel comics and put it on his back. You know, and Michael Jordan's the best basketball player of all time. He also punched Steve Kerr in the face. Right. Yeah. Like we can, like, we can, we can both, both can be true. And both so, are true. so what we have here is Martin Goodman again is you know leading Marvel at this time now. Marvel is called Marvel Comics, um, and he's pushing more monsters of another world and sci-fi books. And Stan Lee is upset. Stan Lee's dot done at this point. It's literally Stan Lee and almost nobody else. Over at Marvel Comics, it's Stanley became like there's a whole thing in, in the book. It talks about how at one point it was uh, Jack Kirby, I think Joe Simon, and uh, they were at one point they were moonlighting. They were working at Marvel, but they were also moonlighting at DC. And then they got caught, and they think that I, I think it was Joe Simon thought it was Stanley that ratted them out, and so they they're they're gone. So now you, you, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby are gone. Is Stan Lee becomes an editor at the editor over at Marvel Comics is like eighteen, so you have this young man who's doing this. He doesn't. There's no bullpen because we're gonna talk no. about this when we, when we talk about the the the, the bullpen bullpen bulletins when Stan Lee's talking about the the bullpen of writers. There's no bullpen. There's nobody there. It's, it's literally Stan it, it's, it's Stan some cigarettes in an empty fucking room. All right, and so <laughs> so he's ready. He's ready to quit. His wife tells him, it's like, listen, if you're going to go out, do one book your way, the way you want to do it, fuck, fuck Martin Goodman, do one book. <sighs> he reached out to Jack Kirby. And just because, I, how do you do this? How do you, how, how, how do you sit there and go, be told you got one chance and you, you just knock it out of the park with the fucking Fantastic Four? I... And, it's so amazing how many how many hits he had early. Oh no no! Like his no, batting no, average was oh, off the goddamn oh, charts. We're gonna get to that. I I literally have this in my note. Of, uh, but we can talk about it in the, this three year period of Stanley. When we, it's, it's a, I'll, I'll go into it right now. In a three year period from when he goes from November nineteen sixty one with the Fantastic Four, uh, we're gonna kind of go into this a little bit later here. But let me just run down the. This is the top, the top ten, the top ten in this three years. All right, Fantastic Four, nineteen uh, November nineteen sixty one. All right, the Hulk, May nineteen sixty two. And again, this is not just Stanley himself. Like so, the Hulk is uh, Lee and Kirby, nineteen sixty two. Spider Man, Lee and Steve Ditko, Maisie Fantasy fifteen, August nineteen sixty two. Thor, Stan Lee, his brother Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby, Journey into Mystery in eighty three, August nineteen sixty two. Ant-Man, 
Tales of the Astonished, uh, number 35, September 1962, Stanley, uh, his brother, and Kirby. All right? Iron Man, Tales of Suspense, 1939, March 63. Stan Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. Daredevil, Daredevil number one, April 1964, Stan Lee and Bill Everett. Doctor Strange, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Strange Tales 110, July 1963. The X-Men, Stan, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, X-Men number one, September 1963. The Avengers, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, 1963. <sighs> Three-year period. And that's the top 10 right there from Stan Lee. Yo. What, what are you doing? How, how do You're you... You're never. <laughs> and again, the, just have to say that hey, Kirby, Ditko, all these people have just as much hands in creating these individual characters here. But the, the underlying person that's always there in each one of these is Stan Lee. And then you, you got to form... Hey, not to take away from these other creators because they had just as much importance. And this comes up and this becomes a, a I mean, remember, at, at one point, and we talked about this in our Spider-Man episode. At one point, they are pumping out Spider-Man episode, uh, issues and Ditko and Lee do not communicate with each other. They do not talk to each other. And they're putting out Spider-Man. Fire. September 1961 is when the Fantastic Four was created. So I think the, the cover date is probably November. It was actually created in uh, September 1961. Um, it's a team that trains comic books. Because, and I love it the way that the, 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 the audiobook breaks this down. I think this was the Marvel, uh, the story untold, breaks it down. It's like, you had something old, which was the Human Torch. Because they, you know, they, they created a new Human Torch in Johnny Storm. You had something new, which was their personalities. Each of these characters, each of the Fantastic Four had their own own personalities. Something borrowed. Reed Richards is basically like Plastic Man. Invisible Scarlet O'Neill was kind of like uh, uh, Susan Storm. The Thing was a was one of Jack Kirby's monsters because Jack Kirby was known for creating these monsters. And then something blue with their uniforms. It's it's just it, you created and it and it took off. And when you go to each one of these characters that Lee and the rest of the, the team and Marvel creates is they're so different from what you're getting over there at DC, right? The Hulk is created in May 1962 with Incredible Hulk number one. Remember, horror, 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 horror comics took a hit because of the Comic Code Authority. But the Hulk is a body horror. It's, it's, it's body horror. Ant Man's a horror comic. It came from the Man in the Anthill. Well, look at the title of it. The, the yeah. title, Tales so Astonished. It's like you know, uh, um, the Hulk at the time when they created the Hulk, he is he doesn't. I don't think he, he doesn't turn because of his anger. It's he, nighttime. It's nighttime. It's, Which is what oh the new uh, the new book. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're reading it. Not, not oh yet. my god. Oh my god. But here's the thing about the Hulk. Because remember what, what the Comic Code Authority says: you can't do you can't do you can't you can't do werewolves. You get around that by creating a, a, this new character called the Hulk, and, it, man. And, and 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 then it turns, and it also then plays on this idea of the Atomic Age because it's gamma rays. And Jane Lee be the first. I don't know what the fuck a gamma ray is. What it sounds, sounds good. Cool. It sounds good. 
you know and people are already thinking about the we're in this is, this is the, the time period the atomic age people are worried about bom- uh, atomic bombs and nuclear warfare you, you you bring in the hulk with body horror and then you bring in this atomic age you have spider-man which again one of the greatest comic characters spider-man huh we don't have time to talk about. No, no. We, I mean, we, we did, we did three fucking episodes it. on We've it. We've done it. But I will say this: they, I found it interesting the decision between using going to the, the Kirby but going to Dicko instead, because the idea was okay. If we go to Kirby, Kirby is known for his art style was just this, you know, out of this world futuristic stuff that you see Jack Jack Kirby's art at, at the time. It was like it's you know fifty years into the future. Went with Dicko because it was like Dicko made it seem like it was, you know, something you put you, you put together in your garage, which is literally what you have with Peter Parker being a young kid. Of course, it would look like that. It would look like something you would put together in, uh, using like tools in your in your in your father's garage, right? You uh, uh, apparently the original co- uh, concept was something like uh, Dicko's the the character the fly that had a magical ring that transformed a kid into superhero, but all, to me that sounded more like Sazam. Here, though, he doesn't trans... Like, even with Sazam, where you had kids, you know, turning... Uh, a, a, a young kid turned into a, a, um, a, a an adult superhero. Here with Spider-Man, you have a teenage kid who, as a teenager, becomes a superhero and has to deal with all those issues that, that, that are, are like that, and it becomes super relatable. You know these. You you know. This is like how we talked about when we played Spider uh, the Spider Man PS4 game. You're like, you, know, you were like, that was my dorm room. Hmm. That, that's what this is here. You you have kids that are reading Spider Man, going, wait, I, I I have problems with girls. I I can do this. <laughs> I, like you see yourself in that. Um, uh, Ant Man dealt with the communist threat. Uh, Iron Man was Vietnam and, and, and communism and dealing with that kind of stuff here. Uh, you had uh, the X-Men, same thing. We've talked about the X-Men plenty of times before. The, the interesting thing I found about what the Avengers is, people are like, okay, so you have this, the, the, the Justice League, right? Justice League, they're, they're, they're you know, they, they're, they're all outstanding members. They're all these, and they all work together as a team. It was like the issue, the first issue of the Avengers, like, yeah, they bicker among themselves of who should be on the team. It's only the anti. It's, it's the anti DC. You have characters that, yeah, they're all heroes in their own right, but you bring them together. Yeah, they'll work together at some point, but you know they're like they bicker among each other. And, and later on, the Hulk is a part of the Verse Avenger team. I want to say like an issue or two later, the Hulk becomes a villain. And he bounces. He bounces. Like I'll you know, it, this it, it, it's it, it's like wait, the characters can't do that. You you can't. What do you what what what? No, now going back to the Fantastic Four again. Th- think about the first five issues. First, the first six issues of the Fantastic Four, right? When the Fantastic Four in in issue four, they bring back Namor. Yep. Issue four of Avengers, they bring back Cap. Yeah, oh, well, I'll get to the Cat one in a minute. I found that story interesting too. Doctor Doom comes back in issue five. Come introduce mm-hmm. Doctor Doom in issue five. Issue six is is Doctor Doom and and Namor teaming up against the fans. It was like, how how are we doing this? How are we going? It's this? a lot of threat escalation real fast. Hey, yo, that escalated quickly. So Strange Tales number one fourteen. Lee and Kirby write a story for the Human Torch. You know Johnny Storm. They they you know they he had his own book at the time. 
And the title of the issue was called Captain America. And it appears that the Golden Age Captain had returned. Turned out to be an imposter. But the, the end of the issue is apparently Johnny Storm looking at old Captain America, uh, Golden Age, uh, Golden Age Captain America comics. And, and Lee put that in there because he was trying to test the waters to see what the reaction would be to fans if Captain America came back. And a year later, March 1964, the cover of Avengers number four, in big letters, Captain America lives. Captain America lives again. <clears throat> and, and Captain America is back and joins the Avengers. It's pulled out of ice. And I'm just like, what a fucking streak. What are we supposed to do with this? Um, you get retired right then. It was one of those things because you, you, you hear. So, so let's get into. So then, and I think this is born out of Lee being swamped and it's a little bit innovative too. Let's talk about the Marvel method. Because I found this also intriguing, and I think this is also where sometimes Lee, but where Lee gets in trouble with people looking at, you know, some of the, his other his co-creators and some of these characters. But at the same time, I think that if it wasn't for this, we don't get the Marvel we we have here is, and the Marvel method was basically he would meet with the artist, give them an overall summary of what he wanted to happen in the, in the comic, and the artist would take that and then draw the comic however they wanted. And then Lee would come back in and write the dialogue on top. How the fuck did that work? <clears throat> and, and this is where, the, this is where some of the, he butted head with some of the, the artists. Some of the artists later come back and ba- basically being like, it says written by Stan Lee, but I did the storyboards. He gave me an overall concept. Yeah, he added in the dialogue Which, later on. Yeah. But I did, I did the, I actually did the hard, I did the heavy lifting here. Because I'm actually taking his idea and then making the actual story and he's just adding the, the words in on top. I should be getting a writing credit. So it's like it, it, it caused some, some, some friction among some of the artists and characters there. You know, even Kirby himself like, was like, wait, I'm doing a lot of work here. And there were some other like Wally Wood and, and other, 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 other artists out and creators out there were like, yo, I'm, just, I'm not feeling this. The whole Steve Ditko thing, like the stance trolling of Steve Ditko A plus. He trolled the shit out of him plenty of times. It just to the point of being cruel at, at some points. But like, but this Marvel method of writing, this Marvel method, it was it worked. It was successful. And I think it's also where you start seeing like Kirby's was always a great but you 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 know a Kirby story when you see it. You know. You, 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 you get drawn into that stuff. And I think that that's, you know, DC started feeling the, the heat. And this is where you start seeing DC then trying to emulate some of what, 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 what Marvel's doing. Because Stanley was such a personality. He was creating, like, uh, slogans. Make my Marvel. You know? Yeah. You know, the Marvel House of Ideas. You know, the <laughs> Yo, crazy the House thing. House of Ideas is so good. Right. He's writing. He's writing these the bullpen bulletin where there's no bullpen, but making people think there's there's a bullpen, right? He created the um, what was it the um, the Mary Marvel Marching Society, (laughs) 
where you know you could get like a little welcoming card, uh, membership card, welcoming letter, and all this other stuff, and 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 for one dollar, and be in this. How about a no prize? Who wants a no prize? The no prize. You again, because remember, uh, DC is very very corporate, right? And and and, and structure. You can't. You're not going to be able to walk into DC, the DC comics, and just sit down and plot down with the artist. People were apparently walking into Marvel to sit down and talk to Stan Lee and, and talk to uh, the, 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 the people around him and the other artists and things like that to the point that uh, Stan Lee started had to take the stairs because he didn't want to get trapped in the elevator. It's like it was just such a different culture between the two, the two well, companies. It's one of those things that you and I talked about during the Stan Lee retrospective is that DC doesn't have a stamp. There's no singular vision that's riding on this. And you can say, oh, Marvel Method, and he needs to give more credit. I get it. But the Marvel Method works. Yeah, yeah. But the Marvel Method, it's a surprise today. Bendis had to, he doesn't write Marvel Method. So mm-hmm. when, he, when he was writing people, it was a little more tougher. And now it is in DC. It feels like, you know, it's easier to write that way. But even, even today, you've seen, you see how, ardent the writers are about thanking their collaborators and that's because of the marvel method whether you can say stan did it wrong or right at first you can tell i can tell you right now that the atmosphere we live in now where artists and writers are held equally and that writers if you bring up their book they're like i have to give first respect to my artist that is an atmosphere fostered from this Mm -hmm. by giving the artist's ownership and i think that you see that now when in the last 10 years you've seen right are more artists than even some writers getting taking exclusive deals for companies which is always interesting I remember when the cubert shipped over from marvel to dc i was like whoa the cubert's left but to get a to get a guaranteed deal as a an artist is a big fucking deal yeah yeah these guys live off page to page like i don't know if people know about the economics of the of the comic industry even in 2019 a lot of your freelance artists live page to page. A lot of your artists who are on books aren't contracted to those books. They're just the artists the writer likes working with. Yeah. Um, you, you had, uh, what was say? You, you had, uh, you know, again, like DC tried to emulate the, the humor uh, uh, of, of, of what Stan Lee was doing and they couldn't do it. It, it just, it didn't have that, Stan Lee, because there wasn't like Marvel was a personality. You had Stan Lee. DC didn't have like a personality. There was no personality there. You had the characters. You had, uh, you know, Batman. Around this time in the sixties, you get you get, you get the Batman. When we talked about it. We're not going to go into, too much into this. We did the Batman TV show and the camp that came from that. And uh, you can kind of see that 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 camp kind of came from them trying to emulate the humor because because that's one thing that there and people go, well, I don't like the humor of Marvel. It's like, well, the humor is always there. You know, the humor is always there. Even like in X Men One One, when you see uh, 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 Magneto show up, and the the uh, the the, the uh, uh, one of the guards basically thinks he's like showing up. As, he he dressed in the he, he's not afraid. He doesn't know he's a supervillain. He just thinks he's some some weird guy dressed up dressed up as in a costume somewhere. Like, hey, buddy, get the fuck out of here. You know, it's just like you get that humor's always been part of there. That sarcasm, right. that stuff is is there. And doesn't take um, itself too seriously, right? Because, because again, it was again, is that that world outside your window, the 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 grounding of these characters, and it just takes off of there. Um, towards the the back end of the sixties, when you start them realizing it's like, hey, you know, we're doing the world outside your window. We're in New York. There's a bunch of black people here, and this is when you start getting more characters of color, the black character. You get. 
we, we mentioned before, Black Panther, you get Luke Cage. And over the DC side, you get your Jon Stewart. You know, you, you, get, you, you get Marvel seeing the world uh, around them and saying, if we're going to do this. Uh, and again, it wasn't just, we, we, again, we brought this up in, in the Spider-Man issue. It wasn't just about, like, just bringing in, like, superheroes. You had, you know, Robert Robinson. You had characters in the background. Like, apparently, they, as they were going through, the, you, they, you would start seeing more uh, black characters just as regular people in the crowd. It's like, we need to make sure that our comics are representing the world around them. And, and say what you want about people saying that they needed to do more and we need to do this. Like, this is back in the 60s and Marvel was maybe not to our liking as much as they should have. But they were still doing it um, in here. So, um, let's see. Um, the only other thing I have here, because a lot of the stuff now, we're starting to get things we've, we've talked about before. One thing I had in the Silver Age is, you know, the, the underground comic scene that it kind of emerged in the 60s, kind of dealt with counterculture, recreational drug use. Well, well I think that, that also happened, uh, it coincided with the, 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 the lowering cost of printing. Mm-hmm. And also, Stan Lee. Like this is this is Stan Lee's fault. Like underground comics are because Stan Lee was like, I. You see all these books every week with one man's name on. You're like, fuck it, I can do one. Right. <laughs> I can do one. Like I, I it's empower. Like uh, Stan Lee means so much to me. Like I don't know. More as I'm thinking about it, as I get older, like he, if he can do this, you can do one. Right. And that's where your independent created from. That's why you get independent created books now. That's why. When when Bendis went to DC, he took all his creator own stuff with him, like Powers and Alias. Like this is powerful shit that he's found a place for, and that while he can tell his great Superman story that I'm really enjoying right now, he's also got these books that he's loved and and carried with him for so long that are personal stories. It's why you've got guys like Scott Snyder who is writing the um, Batman Who Laughs series right now, who's able to fold in James Gordon Jr. Like, wait a second, that's from one of your first works, and his honest answer is I just love that character so every time i get a chance to write i'm gonna write it yeah and 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 this also kind of goes into the idea of you know you also get around this issue the legal issue we brought this up before it's like Mm -hmm. um what stanley and them did with uh the human torch the original human torch what was it bill everett i don't know top of my head i think so uh yeah let me see no i'm sorry yeah yeah no wait Human torch one. No, Carl, Carl uh, Burgos. It wasn't Bill. Okay. Bar- Bar- what he does at Carl Burgos, where um, at this point, some creators are seeing that comics are taking off. And they're seeing that their creations are getting into pop culture and they're not making any money off. And so Marvel took the idea of uh, the Human Torch and they recreate a new Human Torch. So uh, Carl's like, I'm, I'm going to. I'm, I'm gonna try to claim a copyright. He lost it. Well, no, no, he didn't lose it. What they, what Marvel did was they created a basic issue where it's the Human Torch versus Human Torch, and they killed all mm-hmm. his character. And I'm just like, you guys are some asshole. Jerry Siegel was trying, it was trying to do the same thing with Superman to try to get something. Because again, at this point, Superman's still taking off and has gotten all this up, and none of these creators are seeing any of this stuff. So you, you, you at this time, and again, we see it today. Where creators trying to get credit for their work because there's a lot of money changing hands and it's not not touching any of theirs. Um, so 
yeah um is there anything else major you want to talk about in the silver i know you go all the way to the yeah I, to, you know, just because I, I i've created my own mental sliding time scale like my my eras don't fit the conventional eras because i think 85 to 2020 is a long fucking time <laughs> Yeah. But I, this is the natural stopping point. You're right. This is 70 is about where the Silver Age stops. You're right. Right. So, um, so we'll get into uh, the Bronze Age, which kind of goes from 70 to 85. And like you said, there really should probably be, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the next time, how we break up them. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how to break up that modern age. Because I'm like, what is I would it, take it from 85 to the, to the comic collapse in 97. Well, no. What, I, what I'm saying is, like, we're gonna cover the entire thing just in, in yeah. the show. But I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what, what, what do we call that next age? Because you're right. I, I feel like there was a collapse in comics, and then there was a resurgence because of, I want to say, movies. you and I've called it this. You and I've said it before. It's the new golden age. Because yeah, you're of right. Yeah. The variety and the breadth and the depth of these stories. Yeah, that's true. Like, I'll have that argument. I'll have that conversation that we're living in a new golden age, if not for distribution, but for quality of story. No, you're absolutely right. That's a good point. I can't wait to have that conversation next next week. Ne- next, it's gonna be fun. Ne- next week. So, um, so you guys have a, we we cover the golden age and silver age. We actually did pretty good on time too. We did about ninety minutes. So, um, let us know what you guys think. If you guys like this, uh, like I said, I, I definitely would love to because I've, I've been I've been finding so many fascinating things about, particularly Marvel. And I think it's just because I, I think the reason why it was so fascinating for me with Marvel is because, and not to say there are there are fascinating things that happen over at DC, but just. Marvel became that cult of personality around Stanley. It was Stan's it was Stan ship because it literally. It, I'm I'm listening to this book and I'm just going, no, he really did put it on his back and 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 carry Marvel Studios. Like it, this is incredible in, in how this happened. So maybe at some point we'll break down further into these characters. But um, I, I'm 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 pretty satisfied with how we did this episode and how it worked out. So um. Uh, let you guys know. Make sure you guys subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, I know Deepom has some stuff he wants to plug. Yep. Uh, UD Pod obviously is back out. We're gonna have between two palms dropping on the twenty fifth. Uh, I got very sick, so the eighteenth didn't happen for us. My Maya culpa. Um, and our first ever MTR monthly mortgage minute will be dropping on Tuesday after MLK. Day. So you guys have it, guys. Um. It's Hannah Check coming back this weekend. We got a lot of stuff. Also, the Super Tuesday recaps are back. So um, just stay tuned. Uh, 2019, we're back. And it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun year. So thank you guys very much for listening. Until next time, we're out of here. Peace.